everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Pit with Pit Sports Performance. Uh, I this is Aaron Duval. I'm hosting today's episode, and so far my my track record with hosting episodes is pretty great on my end because I just kind of get to BS with good friends of mine, uh, and today is is no exception to that. Uh, we're joined here by my my good friend and great mind of uh trey north so trey thanks for hopping on today man yeah no thanks for having me absolutely um so trey and i we we go way back uh we worked in mississippi state together uh we actually lived in my house for a short period of time so we 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 got all the the, the stories about each other, but we'll try to leave those off for the sake of this episode at least. But uh, Trey, for those that don't know you, do you want to just kind of give like a, a quick little background about yourself and kind of where you were, where you're at now? Yeah, for sure. So I'm originally from Western New York. I just claim Buffalo, uh, go Bills. But when it comes down to it is I was a track athlete in college, um, a very subpar D2 long jumper. And I just really fell in love for the weight room and that aspect of it when I was at IUP. And then once I finished, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but then I basically just Googled strength conditioning master's programs and found one in LaGrange, Georgia. And so I went down to Georgia and got my master's down there, which they were all from the uh, Doc Stone and Meg Stone tree. So ETSU, I learned a ton from, again, Dr. Bellon, Dr. McKinnis, um that whole crew down there they taught me tons and then my last semester there I actually interned at Clemson and that's off, that's where I went, met Stephanie Mock who ended up pulling me down to Mississippi State with, with you and Steph um spent the last four years down at Mississippi State where again I had track and field and men's golf to start and then once you made your way up to Pittsburgh I ended up um switching over to soccer which again I really enjoy the field sport aspects. So that was kind of my goal there is to get a field sport. So again, I spent the last year and a half down there with soccer and then both golfs. And now I just recently moved up to Virginia tech where once again, I have women's soccer, both tennises and um, women's golf. Nice. Big, big soccer guy. Um, I don't want to just completely gloss over the go, go bills comment too. I, I do have to say one quick story of, uh, like I said a second ago, Trey lived in my house, and when I was cleaning it out, getting it ready to sell, I had a bunch of lawn chairs, and uh, we put them on the curb for people to take, uh, and all of them were taken within like an hour, um, except for, for the, the Bills chair, because uh, literally no one wanted that. So I think, I think um, you need to add some context that the other chairs were Mississippi State chairs, which we were in Starkville, Mississippi. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, go Bills, whatever. <laughs> Um, well, in your, in your experience though, Trey, so, uh, when we were at Mississippi state, now you at Virginia tech, you know, you, you kind of had to, or you, you've been at places where at least for the meantime, you know, there, there isn't really this, um, I guess more formalized like sports science department and you as a strength conditioning practitioner, uh, have kind of had to wear this, like these two hats of like you know, being the strength coach while, you know, trying to play sports scientist uh, and, and, you know, kind of bringing those two worlds together as best as possible, which has obviously made you a great dual threat as a coach. But uh, I guess just to kind of dive into here in the start, like, you know, this is, you know, the most vague 
broad question I think I could ask, but uh, just very generally speaking, you know, how do you use uh, some of these different like pieces of technology or like these different sports science initiatives uh, to help uh, either train or help, you know, track the progress that you have with your student athletes? Yeah, no, I was actually very lucky that early on I was exposed to force plates because um, that's something that I've used in my, like, I guess, monitoring of athletes since I was at LaGrange College. Um, I got exposed to them there. Once I went to Clemson, I saw every bit of technology I thought there was, um, which was, again, a lot at first. But again, I think it also gave me a good base when it came to understanding the different pieces of technology. And then obviously once I came to Mississippi State, Steph coming from the Clemson tree as well, added tons of technology. So again, I think being exposed to it all really helped me because then I was able to kind of sift through and decide what I thought were the most important. Um, at first, before I had a field sport, I was like, all right, force plates. Like I'm going to make every every team I have jump on force plates. I'm going to monitor their jump height, their peak power. Kind of just look at it over time to see if my training is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Um, especially with like golf, for example, a lot of golfers have very little experience in the weight room again. So when it comes down to it, they should be riding that the newbie gain train like all year, basically you, you'd hope to see their peak power steadily increasing. You'd hope to see a lot of that stuff increase just because they're not used to being in the weight room. And if you're doing weight room correctly, you should ideally see an upward trend when it comes to their force plate jumps. Once I switched over to soccer is when I, got exposed to first polar team pro and now then staff sports. That's where it really took a turn for me is I'm like, Oh man, I have to be a sports scientist now. Like that's just kind of, again, force place was easy enough because you scrapped an Excel, but when it came to the wearable side of it, I really dove into it. And I do think I learned a ton really quickly. And now it's just something that you can get so much out of if you do correctly. Um, so again, with, soccer at first i basically just reported all right hey these were the numbers because again aaron with that engineering at mississippi state they basically set up the reports for me so all i do is copy and paste and refresh and again i could handle that and then as i went as i started to look into it a little bit deeper and like what training was actually doing that's when the communication with the coaching staff really started to kind of step it up a notch when it came to the the reports and wearables um and then again, just when it comes down to training in general, I'm a big speed guy. I love sprinting. I love speed work. So if I can see if someone's max speed is increasing along with their peak power in the weight room, it's just kind of a good way to check multiple boxes just to make sure I'm doing my job how I need to. No, I think that's great. I mean, you know, especially when you're kind of trying to wear like both of those hats of like coach and sports scientist, um, you know, you, you only have so much bandwidth to be able to uh, kind of dive into, you know, conceptually a field that not isn't foreign, but uh, just, you know, different uh, and, uh, you know, has a lot of uh, requires different skill sets and uh, trains of thought with that end. But I, I think like Kind of in your experience, like taking those KPIs, um, figuring out a system in which you can use whatever technology or, you know, anything that you have to kind of use that to track, monitor and kind of self audit the training that uh, you or the sport coaches are you know, 
giving to the athletes. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the name of the game. Um, when, uh, I, I guess going back to like the, the wearables in particular, um, maybe a little bit more from, maybe a little bit more from like the, the technical tactical side, but, um, how would you say you use some of the data that you gather from the wearables in particular kind of help, uh, inform decisions either with how you're communicating with the sport coaches or how you're relaying that information to them and how it may be informing any changes or validation of your own strength or conditioning training. Yeah. So again, when I first took over, it was just, I was regurgitating information. So I just got it, gave it to the coaches and didn't really do much with it. Um, and then once we looked through it all, basically my goal was to understand what, what it meant, not just give them a, a, a number. Cause again, maybe like, Oh, they only focus on total distance, for example, like sure. That's good, but we have to get them to understand kind of the fluctuations in total distance. And that there should be a fluctuation when it comes to that in like the week of a soccer training, for example. Um, also, especially looking at, again, just game volumes. If we're way too close to game volume of, again, of total volume or like yardage or meters during the week, then they're not going to be as fresh for the game. Um, so again, I started off really small. I started off with just, all right, let's understand total distance because that's our volume metric. So if we can understand that, then it, because again, the main reason for me looking into that is we were having some, you know, shin splint issues and some overuse stuff where I think it was just, we had a lot of volume, like we ran a lot. So my main goal that first spring was, okay, let's get them to understand volume, the coaching staff. Cause again, they're, they're at the, you know, division one power five level. Like they, they know what they're doing when it comes to training an athlete. Like they know how to coach athletes. How can I add some sort of, um, you know, some sort of value when it comes to, you know, on the field and at practice. So truly understanding, I would clip every drill. So I clipped a bunch of drills because I was able to be out of practice. So clip drills and start to look at, you know, how much uh, yardage they covered in, in drills and what their yards per minute. So looking at a little bit of intensity as well. So I started to work towards intensity as we got into the, the following fall and spring. Um, before I left. So that was an area where I think before I left, we were starting to get the volume metric down. We understood that, hey, maybe the day before a match, we shouldn't be doing, you know, 5,000, 6,000 yards. Maybe we need to keep it closer to the 4,000 range. And then also the day after with, with the reserves. It's like, okay, how can we make sure we supplement the reserves when it comes to uh, what they missed out on the match? Because, because again, unfortunately, um, we're not allowed to, you know, train do runs or something after a match because again, we're at our, our max for NCAA hours. So how can we best train the reserves, but also make sure that they're ready to go for the following match? Cause again, Thursday, Sunday, you can't run your reserves into the ground on Friday and just expect them to be ready to go on Sunday. So that was the, again, my main idea when it came to that was just try to add some sort of value. And that's actually going to Virginia tech. They haven't had wearables very often. Or, I mean, they just haven't, you know, done a daily report and stuff like that. So it's honestly going to be very similar to when I took over uh, at Mississippi State was, all right, how can I add value to the coaching staff when it comes to looking at these wearables, whether it comes to total distance or HML distance, which, again, is any intense cutting. So when I look at an intensity metric as well, 
So that's an area I've really tried to dive into just because I didn't play soccer growing up, but I have kind of caught the, the, the itch when it comes to loving training uh, the athletes. So again, wearables are super useful. It's just kind of digesting it and understanding how the coaches can digest it because Again, you get so many metrics. If you just throw a bunch at them, there's going to be like, what does this all mean? So that's an area where I've really tried, like going into this season at Virginia Tech, I've really thought about, okay, this coaching staff is not used to seeing a daily report. So how can I give them useful information, but not overwhelm them with, you know, 10 different metrics on on a page? Because then there's going to be like, well, this is this is crap. That's that's a really, really good point. Um, you know, I, I think we can look at, you know, especially with a lot like with Statsport or Polar or Catapult, like you can pull literally hundreds of different numbers and variables that like anyone could probably argue like, well, hey, this is, yeah, this is important or this is, uh, you know, carries weight and is relative to this sport or this activity. But the reality is we're, going up to uh, coaching staffs or even other support staffs or even ourselves. And we're trying to paint this picture with, you know, hundreds of different variables and saying, you know, look like this makes sense. Right. Like, yeah, probably, probably not the best way to go about it. Um, so, you know, like you said, having that goal of like adding that context to training, but doing it within reason and almost kind of slow cooking it with, uh, you know, if some personnel, right, wrong, or indifferent, are going to have, uh, you know, a lot of experience with it and understand it, and they may know exactly what you're talking about and looking at, and others, like, you kind of got to start small and, and build up from there, like, pick your volume, pick your intensity or density, and kind of go from there. Um, so, yeah, definitely a great way to go about it. Um Speaking of like, I guess one of the KPIs, just because I know, like you said earlier, like you are a, I, I know you're a wealth of knowledge on the the speed side and the speed development, um, uh, not just from wearables, I guess, exclusively, but like, you know, kind of the, again, the utility of that sports science initiative uh, side in general, like how can you utilize those different pieces um, and uh, like when it comes to, uh, testing, assessing, or training actual like speed development with your athletes since you do have, you know, field sports now. Yeah, no, that, that was an area, again, that was one of the main reasons I wanted to get a field sport was, again, I was a track and field athlete. I worked track and field, but their sport is speed development, so I don't get to do that. And again, as a, as a strength coach, that's what I really enjoy doing. So when it comes to, again, how do, how I look at it when it comes to wearables or Honestly, I've really dove into just the live, like the live sessions with staff sports. And I know you can do it with catapult as well, but um, again, just looking at max speed, I know it's just such a small, a small sample size of the run. Again, max speed isn't the end all be all, but if we can raise their ceiling, I think that's super important. So again, when it comes to, if I have a slow girl, and she has to run at her 99% to keep up with everyone, then she's going to get tired out quickly. If I have a faster girl that maybe can cruise at her, you know, 80 to 75%, then maybe she can run at 75 to 80% longer than a girl can run at her 90%. 
for the most part. Again, broad strokes there. But so I thought, all right, let's raise the ceiling. When it came down to it is basically I taught certain drills in the warm-up, um, a lot of skips, a lot of even some dribbles at the end, some bounding. So I kind of slowly introduced some speed drills in the warm-up. And basically the way I tracked whether they got faster or not was if their max speed went up throughout the year. So my during the fall, all I did was, you know, slightly alter the warm-up. I didn't do any extra speed sessions. I didn't do, um, you know, in the spring, I was lucky and got time to do speed work, whether I did wicket runs or more, I guess, traditional speed sessions. But in the fall, all I did was look at, I mean, I just did the warm-up. Then in the spring, we started to do our, our – our sprint sessions and our speed sessions and the girls top speed max speeds just were increasing again maybe just because they were sprinting and i'm like hey let's i just need you to sprint um but again their their max speed went up so and then once we came back in the fall we basically said every tuesday because we had mondays off i need the girls to sprint two sprints and same same thing we kept it super simple but we just tracked it over the season and girls were hitting new max speeds in, you know, October when we weren't doing anything out of the ordinary, we were just sprinting. Um, and again, you'll see that all the time on Twitter and everywhere else. Like, Oh, you just got to sprint to be fast. Like it is true. Um, again, I think adding stuff in the warm up is super beneficial as well, because you can, again, the skipping and just stuff from basically track warmups can be super beneficial to a field sport athlete. Um, and then also just looked at track back to the force place. A lot of the girls that were getting faster, their peak power were increasing as well. So again, it's something that I had a feeling it, it happened, you know, like, all right, if the peak power is going up, they're probably getting faster. But then I had both ends of it to look at. So like, Hey, in the, in the weight room, we're jumping twice. Their peak power is increasing. Hey, on the field, there's their max, their max velocity is getting faster as well. So again, also to go away from again the field sport slightly golf when it comes to their peak power and club head speed basically i think three of the the four guys on my men's golf team that had the highest peak power had the highest club head speed and hit the ball the farthest the one outlier he was six three and long and used all his length so like when it came down to it, there's just so many things where if you can start to blend the sport or so again, like with golf, their club at speed and the jumps, if you start to blend those two, then you get buy-in super easy too. Like all I had to do is once I brought it up to the men's golf team, they're like, okay, let's, let's get after it. And again, they were great in the weight room because they understood that, Hey, if my club at speed increases, I hit the ball farther. It's easier for me on the golf course. Same thing. Soccer started to understand that, Hey, if I'm faster, that helps me. Again, you didn't, you wouldn't think you'd have to convince someone that, but um, I, I did for some of the girls and again, when it came down to it, they did a great job with it and we kept it simple. And again, the live sessions, they had complete buy-in, like they'd run and they'd come over and ask me, Hey, well, you know what I hit, what I hit. And, you know, Oh, 101%, like great job. Yay. You know? So again, it was, it was, it was fun because the girls bought in and I just got to say, Hey, let's just, let's just run fast. I love that. Um, how when you when you would test them uh like for their max v or you said that you had like those uh sprint sessions in the spring where or speed sessions where it actually work you know maybe a little bit more mechanical stuff uh do certain drills and 
the fall and season, just, you know, give them certain exposures uh, every now and then. Um, and, and I guess in, in season and out of season, when would you actually, um, would you have like a set, like at the end of the warm up, it's, you know, this, this certain run that you try to hit, or is it like under the assumption that like, you know, Hey, hopefully, uh, you know, within a given week, like, you know, we're, we're going to get at or close to some sort of top velocity if, you know, the practice demands or especially mm-hmm. game demands elicit that. Um, so how would, how often and like, how would you kind of track that? Yeah. So in the spring slash off season, it was a lot more, I didn't test their max sprint speed nearly as, as often. Basically what I did is again, we had a lot more speed sessions. So when we would run wickets, girls would get over 90%, 95%, even over the wickets because they're running correctly. So they're, they're running fast. Um, Again, but in the grand scheme, I'm more of a short to long approach when it comes to my speed development. So I spend a lot of time on the acceleration and just like that side of it when it came to the spring, because I thought that's where they needed the most improvement. But again, I still would sprinkle in again, wicket runs um, when it came to working on some max velo stuff and like dribbles and some more so form of max velocity, like max velocity than necessarily running at max velocity in the spring. Um, besides like hard accelerations where they would, you know, I would do tra- chase drills and stuff like that. But then in the fall is where, and obviously because our time is so much shorter, basically it was after the warm up. I would say, all right, go get a quick drink, come back over to me. We're going to do two runs. The first one, they could, it was a build up on their own. So that basically they started on the end line, they walked to the six, they walked, then they built up the 18 and they ran 18 to, to midline. So basically they had, from the 18 to midfield to run as fast as they could. The second time, based then I would take basically groups of six to eight of them based off of how fast they just ran and start them all in the 18th. So then I'd base, I would race them on the second one because just to get that extra aspect, some girls hit you know their faster speeds on the first one, some hit it on the race because again, the competitive aspect. So that's how we kind of mess with it in season. But near the end of the season, actually, there were times where I'd have a girl only run one or none if, like you kind of mentioned, they were hitting. So basically, it's zone six entries and st- on status force. So basically, that's I set that so it was everything over ninety percent. So if they were up in like the eight to ten range of zone six entries, I mean, I don't need them sprinting more. Like they're getting plenty in the game. Um, but the main reason I wanted to focus on that was my first season. Near the end of the season, we had. Again, a girl that ended up tweaking her hamstring. It was, again, she didn't tear it or anything, but she ended up pulling her hamstring one of our last games. And once I looked back at the fall numbers, realized that she didn't hit, like, a fast speed for games. Like, so weeks, because she was more of a defensive player. We were winning. Like, we were playing, you know, we were controlling the ball. We were winning. So she didn't have to kind of make those longer faster runs so once she heard it i'm like okay like how can we prevent that so then that was what we tried to do in the fall was okay we're going to sprint on tuesdays just to make sure everyone's there um so and that's kind of talking to the team i i told them straight up i understand sometimes in games you won't have to make these runs you won't have to sprint like this but if you do i need you to be ready for it and again the only reason to truly the only way to truly prepare someone to sprint is to have them sprint every once in a while. 
No, that's, I love that. And I, I love that kind of strategy that going about it. Um, and I feel like, like I'm, I'm definitely kind of getting off on like a little bit more of a tangent here, but um, like when we talk about like the, you know, trying to get exposure at or testing that max fee, but really a lot of that and the merit behind doing that is getting that exposure to um, certain actions or, you know, it, distance at a sub max V and that like zone six, like you're saying, or something relatively around the threshold of like above like 90% velocity, like how, how important this is, this may be a little anecdotal and like, you know, your opinion. And I think other people have, um, you know, their opinions, but like, what do you think is like, like the, the correct dose of the, the vaccine of, you know, sprint exposures or near sprint exposures like is it something that we do try to hit you know once a week uh is it something that the the action itself is enough or do we need to um hit a certain threshold of high speed volume um you know it's it's so many yards or so many meters within a given time frame what does that kind of look like for you yeah so that's an area i've looked into a lot and there are tons of different opinions on volumes and and dosage and that's where my philosophy was all right I, I know i need at least some exposures weekly when it comes to hitting above nine percent i didn't have again i'm like two it's, it was just easy with two because i know it wasn't going to be too much by any means but it was more than one so i didn't have like okay no i, I need for sure like i need them to get six to eight um, zone six entries. So, oh, you didn't hit it on, on, you know, and we're on day six. So you have to run. I didn't necessarily dive into it that much. I know there is some people that have looked into that more um, from the volume side of it. Though, like the yardage is an area where I think is a bucket. I'm still missing to an extent because I've, I've found like, I think it was like, like two and a half times Worst case scenario of gain volume is I found a couple of times of high speed running. So it's like if a girl, so again, if like I had one girl that ran, I think like 600 yards of high speed running against Bama, who was like four in the nation. So like that was her worst case scenario. So then I would need, you know, 1,800 yards of high speed running for the week. That's where like it's tough to really dose that, you know, especially if they're going to play in two games. If one game is so much lower, where are you going to put that in? You know, are you going to put it beforehand and then hope they don't run a bunch in the game or are you going to put it? So that's where I don't know a good way of doing that yet. And that's and that's something where I'm going to, again, really try to figure out a good way in the summer when I didn't have games. I was able to do that. So again, I made sure they got, you know, the high speed running weekly that I needed. The one day I literally set up live, I said, the goal today is to get 700 yards of high speed running. Once you get it, you're done. So again, like however long it takes you, you the buildups and the warm up were insane. Let me tell you, because, but again, it's tough when it comes to the volumes when it, because I know it is important, and I do think that's an, a bucket that we were missing to an extent. Because I do think if you find that sweet spot with the high speed running volume, the hamstring resilience has to be wonderful. You know, like it's, it, that's going to that I I can't imagine that being poor for the girls if you find that sweet spot. However, if you do too much, 
then you're asking for issues to pop up. So that's where I was more conservative with, all right, let's just get two sprints. As I think, as I work soccer longer and get more experience, I can see, I hope eventually I'll be able to figure out, okay, this is the range I need weekly. If someone's consistently lower than that, they're becoming, you know, a little bit more at risk. And then you try to find ways to, you know, dose it in maybe in, you know, 100, 200 yards at a time. But that's an area where I do think a lot of people have started to look into it, but it's an area where I know for sure sprinting twice a week helped the girls when it came to, again, hamstring strains. We didn't have issues with that and girls got faster. So it was a good dosage, whether or not it was enough. Maybe, maybe we could have squeezed a little bit more out, maybe. But again, I think as I work more and more years with field sports, that's an area where I think I'll hopefully have a better answer for you. So maybe you'll have to check back in in like five years and I'll have a better answer for you. Now it's tough though, right? Cause like, you know, it's, especially with, uh, with something like soccer or field sport, you know, it's, it's not track and field where, um, you can easily objectively prescribe, you know, preemptively, like this is what volume at this speed, you know, what it's going to look like. Like I know in a meet you're going to run this, um, like, yeah, you may have this like subjective idea based on like opponent tactics or formation. Like, okay, we're we're probably going to be chasing the ball a lot, or like, no, we're we're gonna, you know, we'll we'll be able to control it well this game, and you know, this, you know, you can get in the weeds on that all day long. But I think as long as you do have, like you said, like that general construct of, hey, can we get like certain exposures can we at least touch it uh frequently enough to where when they do encounter those actions in practice or especially a game that it's that that's not what breaks them so -hmm. to speak and shocker like you said doing that you know hamstring resiliency goes up and people get faster um so doesn't doesn't always have to be rocket science but um, no, that's awesome. I, I love to hear like kind of some of the the stuff that you're looking at, and I, I'm definitely going to have to steal the idea for for our lacrosse team of uh, adding uh, those kind of like the live tracking and get the races in with like the different groups just to kind of raise that that competitive bar a little, little bit too. That's that's an awesome idea. Um, what about uh, just going off on another completely different tangent? Um, what what are what are maybe like some other things that uh, like you and you know you've been at your new role for what a month or maybe two not even now a little over, a little over two now yeah just just a little over two so like like in your new role new challenges new athletes uh, new system new resources like what are kind of some some projects that uh, you kind of have on your plate right now or things that you're looking to. Uh, along with what we just talked about, kind of dive into a little bit more here in the future too. Yeah, I think, again, the first step for me will be just locking down the daily reporting for soccer when it comes to the wearables. But after going, again, to the CSCCA and listening to Dan Baker talk, I started to kind of think of different ways because, again, during his talk, he talked about having, I'm pretty sure it was eight minutes, it was was eight minutes over 120% MAS. I've never been a, a big MAS guy just because I 
basically didn't run a fitness test where I'd get an MAS score because I ran what the coaches wanted me to run. So I'm not going to run an extra fitness test that's going to MAS score. So I've never used it, but now I run a fitness test where I can get an MAS score. So I think I may dabble with it a little bit more. And again, in, on Statsports, you can create custom metrics. So I may try to create basically a metric that is time over 120% MAS because according to Dan Baker in his talk, if if you have eight minutes a week, then you're not going to become less fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, if that is, you know, something that worth looking into, if I can easily, you know, at the end of the week, look at it and sit and see where everyone's at when it comes to, you know, time over 120% MAS, then I can, I can, I can kind of go to the coaching staff and say, Hey, like, I know the goal is to continue to get fitter throughout the year. Like that's one thing that a soccer coach always wants to say, Oh no, we weren't as fit at the end of the year. We we're fitter in the beginning or we weren't as fit enough. And then we became fitter. If we have some sort of, again, metric that says, Hey, if, if we need someone to get fitter, we need them, you know, 12 to, you know, 18 minutes of them at time over 120%, not at eight. Um, if we have some sort of metric that we can kind of gauge it off of, when it comes to my fitness too, if I have live running, it's easy to kind of look at that and be like, all right, like give them goals. And that's where I think on the day after a match running live is something I'm going to basically try to do almost every week because with our low minute practices, again, the coaching staff does a really good job of doing, you know, getting a tons of the soccer app actions and cut it. So it's a bunch of small side stuff, which again, a lot of coaches do that day after. But if you think about it, then those reserves are missing the bucket of high speed running. Like they don't have time to get any high speed running yardage if they are doing all small side stuff. So if I have live running, I can then say, all right, you, you, and you, you outside backs, we have to get up to, you know, 400 yards of high speed running by in the day. You know, maybe the central midfielders have to get to 200, but have kind of different goals based off of starters, like the starting yardage and say, all right, I need you to get to 75% of, you know, this game volume. And then once they get there, they're done. If they're sandbagging and not getting high speed running yardage, I have to talk to them like, Hey, just so you know, we're taking longer to do this because of the effort that's getting put in. Cause that's one area where I've, I've been told that that's, Sometimes the fitness on those days, the girls don't like it because again, you, you don't play. So then you have to practice the next day and then you have to run fitness. Like I wouldn't like that either, but how can we get more out of it? And then the grand scheme run them less. So that's kind of, and I think that's something that I'm going to look into when it comes to match day plus one with the reserves, because I think if you can basically have a higher quality session by running live and kind of just updating as we go, I think that would be super beneficial for the reserves when it came to, you know, the longevity of the season. But those are probably like my main things. Again, I'm trying to slow cook the whole, the whole process because they're not, again, not used to seeing daily reports and I don't want to overwhelm and just spit a bunch of stuff at the coaching staff and then like, then be like, well, we don't need this. So I think that's always, it's always a fine line because yeah, as strength coaches, we want to help and we want to, you know, show them how valuable we are, but in the grand schemes, it, it it comes down to how they're, you know, designing sessions and how they're training the athletes and what kind of athletes they have. So 
again, learning the athletes was kind of my goal these last two months. And I thought, I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I, I understand when it comes to, you know, max speeds versus HCC versus STC, like stuff like that was kind of what I was looking for. And when, and I think I've kind of grasped on that. So I think in the fall, it's just going to be, how can I best use the wearables when it comes to, again, if I do create that metric for MAS or if I run the live the day after, I think that's where I can really help the coaching staff and the team when it comes to, you know, having a good fall. Uh, that's great, man. Um, I, I love the idea too of uh, setting that uh, threshold or having a, a different barometer for high speed running that keeps it a little bit more relative, like using the MAS. That's, that's, I know personally what, what I've always used for, for at least the majority of, you know, conditioning sessions. But, um, you know, I, I was in on that, that Dane Baker presentation as well. And uh, definitely some, some good nuggets to take away from there. But uh, it, if I don't, you know, look at my own conditioning and see like, okay, well, how much am I exposing them to, you know, time over this speed or this intensity and not taking into as good of context of like what they're doing in practice at those same relative speeds of their MAS. Um, that, that's great. If you can kind of tie that in with like what they're doing, like in a practice as well, and being able to kind of sum all of it together to paint a little clearer picture of like, uh, you know, what are the demands of their sport uh, from not just like the volume or speed, but their actual like relative uh, speed too, and like different volumes and different sections of that. So that's awesome, man. Um, obviously really, really happy for you and uh, you know, new, new gig and uh, know you're around some good people and great athletes. And um, I'll say that until we play you in the fall, uh, so whatever day that is, you can October 26th, October 26th, yeah. we'll be in Pittsburgh. So yeah, you, you can kick rocks on October 26th then, but, uh, other than that, man, uh, no, it's it, great talking with you as always. And, uh, always like love hearing your insights. And, uh, there's been a lot of days where we've just kind of sat in our back office or your office. And I was sitting on the couch in there and just kind of talking shop about random stuff. So it's, it's good to have an opportunity to do that again, man. But uh, yeah, really appreciate, appreciate you hopping on and um, I know our listener listeners will enjoy it and uh, take some good nuggets away from it. And, but yeah, just appreciate you and appreciate your time, man. Uh, thanks for having me on. And again, it was fun. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone else for tuning in. And as always, hail to pit. <laughs>